I hope by now you understand that there are many people that throughout our land that really don't know the true origins of Christmas. Jesse and I were out shopping this last week one day and I was standing outside a door and she went in and there was a girl out there holding a gift and I said, well, you look real excited. And she kind of smiled and uh, I said, you know what bothers me is that a lot of these people have no idea what the real reason is for the whole gift giving and all of that. And she said, I agree with you 100%. And she said, you know, I always wear my cross as a reminder of who I am and what I believe. Uh, and we, we went on and had a conversation I shared with her about uh, how we have kind of taken on sharing and giving to the twins in Zimbabwe. And, and she thought that was really great. And so I gave her information for contact. And, and uh, we'll see where it goes to from there. But I, I think I caught Jesse off guard. I, as Jesse was walking out of the store, I said, do you have one of my cards? Would you give it to this girl so she can get a hold of me if she wants to? <laughs> and I, I wasn't even thinking about how I had worded it. But, uh, and then catch me off guard. <laughs> you know, what I mean by that and sharing that is that many folks don't realize that the birth of Christ is really what it's all about. It changed history. It changed the calendar. It changed the way people were treated medically, especially those with emotional issues. And even those of us who do know the true meaning of Christmas tend to forget amidst all of the shopping and gift-giving and family get-togethers and with all the good food and celebrations, we forget what it's all about. I shared this past week on a post how we really don't know for certain what day the Lord was born. In fact, it was probably in the springtime because that's when the shepherds in ancient times would actually be out sitting in the fields at night beside their flocks, uh, watching for wolves and other dangers, and even feeding the little orphaned lambs with milk on a soak rag, which would be why they were seated on the ground. Uh, anyway, most scholars agree it probably wasn't in the dead of winter, but in the springtime. But we do know for certain that he was born. And so for over a thousand years now, we've recognized December the 25th as the time to remember his birth, actually taking a pagan day, the, the birth of the Son, S-U-N, and baptizing it to be the birth of the Son, the Son of Jesus. Uh, but there is an important emphasis in Scripture regarding Christmas. It has to do with the timing of Christmas. In Paul's letter to the Christians at Galatia, he writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This phrase, the fullness of time, is a phrase that does not deal with chronology. It's not a predicted date. 
chronologically speaking, it's the date when all of the circumstances came together. Um, and, and so why, just why would Paul say that Christ's coming was at the fullness of time? And there are various factors that combine to make it the right time. Uh, for instance, it was the time when Rome had conquered and subdued the whole inhabited earth as they knew it, when Roman roads had been built to facilitate travel, and Roman legions were out there stationed to guard those roads. It was also the time when the Greek language and culture had given a certain cohesion to society. Even Rome predominantly spoke Greek, not the Latin. The Latin was for uh, the legal, the religious, but the language of the people was Greek. And it was a common language worldwide. At the same time, the old mythological gods of Greece and Athens and Rome were losing their hold on the common people. So that the hearts and minds of men everywhere were hungry Hungry for a religion that was real and satisfying. It was also the time when the law of Moses had done its work of preparing men for Christ, holding them under its tutelage uh, and in its prison. And so that they also longed for the freedom with which Christ could make them free. Which brings us to the real meaning of Christmas. As I shared with you last Sunday, Christmas is about the greatest gift ever given. The gift of the baby born that night under lowly circumstances. The gift to the marginalized shepherds of being the first to know and being able to be the first to spread the word. In fact, that's what Christmas is really all about. It's not about a stranger coming into our homes bearing gifts, but the gift coming into our lives. Christmas is about the Advent, the coming of our Lord and Savior. And that's why in Galatians 4, the passage we already looked at, Paul tells us that when this fullness of time had come, God did two things. First, He sent His Son, verses 4 and 5, sent His Son, born of a woman. But notice that the purpose of that was to redeem, to adopt. It wasn't just to rescue us from slavery, but it was to make slaves into sons. And that's why we're not told here how the redemption was achieved, but we know from Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 that it was by the death of Christ. And from chapter 3 verse 13 that this death was in fact a curse-bearing death. He took the curse upon Himself for us. And what is emphasized in these verses is that the one whom God sent to accomplish our redemption, the baby in the manger, was perfectly qualified to do so. He was God's son. He was also born of a human mother. So that he was human as well as divine. The one and only God-man. And he was born under the law, that is, of a Jewish mother into the Jewish nation, subject to the Jewish law. And throughout his life, 
He submitted to all the requirements of the law. When he was 12, the reason why they were in Jerusalem was because we're told Mary and Joseph were devout. And they made that trip. And they took him to have his bar mitzvah, becoming a man. You see, he perfectly fulfilled the righteousness of the law. And so the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and the righteousness of God and Christ unequally and uniquely qualified Him to be our Redeemer. If He had not been man, He could not redeem man. If He had not been a righteous man, He could not redeem unrighteous men. If He hadn't have been God's Son, He couldn't have redeemed men for God or made them the sons of God. And secondly, Paul emphasizes in that passage that God sent His Spirit. Verse 6, And because your sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Greek words, the verbs that are translated sent forth and has sent, they're the same word. And in the same tense. It was a double sending. God sent the Son. And He sent the Spirit. He sent the Son into the world. He sent the Spirit into our hearts. And entering our hearts, the Spirit immediately began to cry. Abba. Father, I have a friend who was traveling and he was in the airport in Athens, Greece. And he noticed a mother with a small child. And when the people disembarked the plane and came out and started walking down the concourse, the little boy with arms raised went running across the courtyard saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. Do you get the image? God put His Spirit in us so that we could have that loving, affectionate, confidential intimacy in terms of our access to God in prayer. And so, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit witnessing to our sonship and prompting our prayers is a special privilege for all of God's children. It's a gift. Paul says it's because you are sons, verse 6, that God did this. No other qualification is needed. Now, Peter would proclaim, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It tells us when that happens. When we accept Christ in loyalty and obedience, our sins are forgiven and the Spirit comes to dwell within us. You see, Christmas is about God sending His Son so that we could be brought into relationship with Him and His indwelling Spirit guiding us. But secondly, Christmas is about the gift of freedom from sin. One of the songs that we sing during this time of the year, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I think it says it all. 
Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Christmas is about Jesus being born for a purpose. He lays His glory aside so that He could die so that you and I wouldn't have to die. That's right. Once we become united with Christ in death by baptism, we have eternal life and abundant life. Remember the story we would say often at camp? Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. I'm not afraid of death. I don't even view death as a final thing. I view it as a transition. I really do. I view it as going to sleep and having my loving Father pick me up and I wake up either in bed like I did as a child when I fell asleep watching TV or when the final time comes, I go to sleep and God transports me into the presence with Jesus there to see me. You see... The sting of death is removed. That's what Paul says in Scripture. We don't die. We just transition. And in the final verses of Romans 6, Paul continues his contrast. A stark contrast, an an antithesis actually, uh, with Christ in death by baptism, we have eternal and abundant life. Between sin personified and God. That's where the contrast is. Paul's characterized these two throughout as alternative slave masters. We're either slaves and in bondage to sin or we're slaves to righteousness, binding ourselves to God. Those who are in Christ by means of their dying in baptism serve God, whereas on the other side, those who are in Adam serve sin. And he also repeals the warning that these two slaveries are so diametrically opposed to each other that the ultimate destinies to which they lead are death or eternal life. But there's a third that gets added which concerns the terms of service on which the two slave owners operate. For the first time, Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 23. You hear that word? The gift. The sin pays wages. You get what you deserve. But God gives a free gift. We're not given what we deserve. Many of you know that for 16 years, I was a police officer in the city of Louisville, Kentucky. And I investigated, most of that career I investigated fatal and serious motor vehicle accidents. I could be sympathetic. But it was really hard for me 
when somebody who had not been drinking was brutally injured and maimed because somebody else who had decided to drink and drive had caused an accident injuring the other. And it was hard for me to be real sympathetic with the people who had brought it on themselves by their bad behavior. Statistics show that the results of the things that God's Word tells us to not be a part of lead to problems. We weren't given the Bible to keep us from having fun. We were given the Bible and all that it says so that we could have abundant life, fullness of life. Bondage to sin yields no return except shame and ongoing moral deterioration cultivating in death. You see, we have to die. I'm not just talking about the physical death. We have to die. We have to let the old self die. That's what baptism is all about. That's what the first part of Romans that we went through last week talked about. A seed. You put it in the ground, and for all practical purposes, what's it do? It's it's dead. But then life comes forth, right? You take that seed away from the plant that it's giving, giving it life, you let it die, you put it in the ground, and then you get life. You take this seed and you take it away from all the worldly junk, you put it in the grave of a watery baptism, you allow the old self to die so that you can rise a new resurrected life, a babe in Christ. So, here's my challenge. You've been given a gift It's the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And you've been given another gift, the ability to receive the mind of Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. We need to be receiving the mind of Christ. Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves. Receive it. Accept the gift, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, in love for humanity, The Father, God, gave the gift of His Son. And in love for the Father and in love for humanity, Jesus willingly gave Himself. Think about it. Jesus willingly and obediently and lovingly left a place of glory and sinlessness, a place of ceaseless worship and perfection, 
A place of unbroken fellowship with the Father. And from the bosom of the Father, He went to the womb of His mother Mary to take the form of a servant. To serve rather than being served. And to give His life. Shouldn't that call us this Christmas morning to a life of service? A life of giving to others? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your Son. Help us to at some point, if we haven't already, learn to really let that old self die. To bury it in the baptismal waters so that we can rise to newness of life, eternal life, abundant life. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to give up the glories of heaven to come to earth, take on human flesh, and die so that we could live. We pray this in your name. Amen.